0: From the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland and UQPSY Studios, this is Just a Thought, a podcast where we explore psychology and how it influences our lives. Here are your hosts, James Kirby and Nicole Nelson.
1: Welcome to another uh, podcast from Just a Thought here from the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland. Uh, you're with me, James Kirby, and today I'm joined by our wonderful co-ho- co-host, Dr. Nicole Nelson.
0: Hello. Glad to be here.
1: Oh, it's so good to have you here. We've missed you in action in our previous podcast. Where have you been? What have you been doing?
0: Fabulous vacations all across the world. <laughs> Or, or meetings. <laughs> <laughs> <That's how. laughs> and
1: uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Nicole is an expert in developmental psychology. Um, and uh, you will be getting interviewed at some stage, I right. think.
0: Right. I'm on the hot seat.
1: Yeah, so you're giving a seminar later in the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what it will be on?
0: Um, emotions. Emotions? Broadly, that's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> Something about children, most likely. <laughs> Something,
1: okay, excellent. Emotions and children. So uh, keep, keep a lookout for that podcast when it comes along. So for today's podcast, we're very lucky to have Associate Professor Sam Schwartzkopf um, from the University of Auckland, New Zealand. Um, previous to that, he spent quite a bit of time in the UK completing his PhD at Cardiff before moving on to postdoctoral positions at the University of Birmingham and then at the University College London. Sam's research uh, seeks to better understand why people perceive the world the way they do. His major work lies in understanding perceptual experience by focusing on receptive field mapping to examine the subtle differences that can occur in stimulus processing. I hope I've got that right. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and Sam, you've published extensively, um, over hundred publications, over you know, thirteen hundred citations, and this is all very impressive. And we're very lucky to have you join us on Just the Thought. So thank you for coming along. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. <laughs> it's lovely to have you here in Brisbane. Have you been to Brisbane before? Yeah, last year. Last year. Um, pretty much a year ago. Any yeah. reason? Was that a holiday or was it work? Uh, well, it's sort of both. Um, it's mostly holiday. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you find uh, the
2: Brisbane lifestyle? Yeah, no, I like it a lot. Um, it's quite similar in many ways to Auckland, I think, but uh, <laughs> yes, obviously yes. a bit more tropical, maybe. But yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And do you follow the rugby? Uh, not too much, but um, you know, I need to get into that. I. Support the All Blacks, of course. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fine. That's fine. So,
1: Sam, do you want to just expand a little bit more on uh, you know who you are and the type of research you do? Well, I um I like to
2: see myself as a perception researcher, and um, so even though I've pretty much almost exclusively worked in vision throughout my research career, I actually like to understand perception in general and that obviously entails other senses and you know how you make sense of the world so Absolutely. that's sort of how i see myself in a way but yeah I've, I've done it in a very bottom-up approach so i started off doing electrophysiology and uh, neurophysiology during my phd mm-hmm. and then for my postdocs i moved into cognitive neuroscience um doing neuroimaging but i think there's there's always been a bit of a physiologist still in in what i'm doing even though i've studied you know Something very lofty, like how you perceive your subjective experience. Uh, but yeah, I still see
1: myself in some ways as a physiologist. A- a- fabulous. I mean, you made a, a a really good point there. So there is a difference between sort of visual yeah. and just general perception. So what other factors would you focus in on in perception? Well, there's there's two sides to that. So yeah. On the other hand, well, one one side of
2: that obviously is just that there are the other senses. Except for vision, right? <laughs> and, uh, so I've, I've collaborated uh, with a number of colleagues who work in a, a somatosensory processing and an, um, auditory processing, um, and I quite want to expand that side of, of my research, even yeah. if it's not maybe my main focus, I see. but yeah. still I'm you know highly interested in. in mm, but yeah. and then also. You know more generally perception like you know, how you perceive your body or you know, where you are in the world although that's just part of perception in my mind and I haven't really done any research on that <laughs> myself I see. yet anyway yes yes but uh, I'm very interested in that side of what we call perception and,
0: uh, and is that something that integrates pretty well with vision work in general or is it a separate kind of silo of research
2: in some ways it does I think uh, so one thing for example and being in New Zealand is a prime location for that, as I'd be quite interested in experiments on wine tasting, um, or <laughs> even even in general line. taste. You know, and there's there's a lot of um, things where you could look into how visual sense um, plays with your sense of taste and, and your sense of enjoyment of of food, for example. Um, so I think yeah, because vision is one of the well, it is the dominant sense right. mm-hmm. uh, that has a lot more brain power associated with it than say audition and some somatos, well some sensory maybe not you know as small <laughs> but if you compare the size of auditory cortex to visual cortex you know, there's it's a much dramatic difference so i think it makes a lot of sense that mm-hmm. vision is heavily involved in pretty much all of what we typically do mm-hmm. so yeah so I, I do think it does integrate and so one of my interests is that it's a sort of a hot topic in vision science right now even though it shouldn't just be about vision, um, is you know how your cognition might influence what you're perceiving, right. mm. and you know that it's a very controversial issue. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of that has been studied with respect to vision. Even though you know, I think, again, other senses would be just
1: as interesting. Yeah so yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Interesting. Um, so I mean you know Sam the idea of these podcasts uh, you know are really to follow our seminar series here and, and you gave a seminar last Friday um, would you mind just kind of highlighting what were perhaps some of the key points you really tried to deliver in that seminar okay uh, I think well the first thing is that's probably
2: the one of the main threads throughout my recent research anyway is that perception varies a lot and again I've focused Mm. really on vision perception so far, Mm. Um, such as the magnitude of particular visual illusions can vary between even completely typical normal healthy people quite dramatically. And so a lot of my research investigates these sort of individual differences and I'm trying to understand what could be the brain mechanisms that underlie this variability. Um, And so, yeah, so I guess one of the the first key thing that yes. actually my talk is about that you know perception does vary a lot, and I think yes. it's it's often surprising to people uh, how just much how much does. that is the case
1: and does that vary like in terms of that variation do, 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 does that become increased across different age points? Um, that's not something we've really done much about, mm. but that
2: that would be a very interesting question, I think, because mm. um, obviously there are things in the visual system that we now think are linked to variants in perceptions, yes. which as you know, various functional properties of the visual system that they obviously change with with age. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there is it's quite likely that there will be differences,
1: but uh, yeah. And and, and just so, on that, like, what kind of variation would you be talking about when it comes to vision? Is it about just color, or what other variations do you see often in in understanding how? Varied our vision
2: uh, uh, is in terms of its perception. So the things that I've actually studied mostly is the perception of size. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a you know it's a very simple basic property of, of your visual perception. Right? Absolutely. And uh, well, it started all off with with size illusions where context changes what you're perceiving, so whether yeah. an object is looks larger or smaller than it actually should be. Yes. And that varies a lot between people, but actually more recently, we've been studying the same size perception without this sort of illusory aspect to it. Mm. And even there, you actually have, you know, misperceptions in mm. the physical size of visual objects, mm. you know, that are just one normal, you know, variation within, within people and between people. I mean, I
1: think that's fascinating. So, uh, you know, some people might not know this, but I'm not particularly tall. Um, what could I do to give the illusion of me being taller than than, than what I am? Is there any, any tricks you've got up your sleeve that I could, <laughs> <laughs> I could take advantage of?
2: Uh, well, actually, so you're sitting down now, and yeah. I, I would have actually judged you as being above six foot tall. Whoa, that's fantastic. So, so, so stay seated. <laughs> yes, yes. The punchline so, here. Ma- maybe that works. Yeah. <laughs> that's but it it's, that's, that's interesting because, I mean, I guess, you know... And, it's Not something I've done, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one of the classical size illusions is that uh, you know, what's related to the Ponzo illusion or the, the Amos room is a 3D mm-hmm. demonstration mm-hmm. of it is that the perspective cues can make something mm. look quite abnormally large or small. Yeah, yeah so yeah. if you create a, your office, you know, shape, shape your office in a way that that helps <laughs> with that that's right you look like a giant maybe that's too too um, obvious then
1: <laughs> exactly. you just need a tiny chair
0: <laughs>
1: that would be true i mean because so, i'm great oh sorry yeah.
0: so so people essentially make errors in judgment for size even when the room isn't slanted mm. in a way to try and trick you so is it that some people are simply more accurate than others, or do people vary in systematic ways across situations?
2: So it's, it's a systematic bias, and that, that's actually the, the thing that we, we studied most recently, mm. um, is that well, the, the, the basic, more average trend that you can observe across people quite easily is that as you go out into the periphery, so away from your center of gaze, then objects appear smaller. And, you know, that's something you just... I mean, we, we're all aware of the fact that your peripheral vision should be much poorer than a central vision, mm-hmm. right? But, and mm-hmm. we're not really aware of it. But, so that, that's related to it. But, you know, it's quite surprising because you just don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that this object over there is actually looking smaller than if I looked at it now. Maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, and it's... So it's related to the accuracy of, of your vision. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's not, you know, it's it's not a separate thing. However, the if it were just that, then you would just be poorer, right? Mm-hmm. Then you you had would have had greater variance in your judgments, right? But you wouldn't. The average shouldn't actually be different. But there is something about how the visual system seems to extract this information or mm-hmm. interpret the input and and judging the size that makes you that is. The poorer your vision is, basically, the coarser your resolution is for a particular visual field location. The smaller you judge the object to be. So it's, mm. huh. you know, it's it's something that the blurring of of the signals seems to be interpreted as smaller as well. So not just, that it's not just that you're poorer, but you right. can also actually judge it as smaller.
0: So so not only is your vision kind of less accurate, but then your brain comes along and says it's even smaller than you think it you hmm. should think it is. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting.
2: So in anyway, in way, actually, it, there's of course an, an open question, what, what do, we, do we mean by accuracy? So obviously a <laughs> systematic error is also, you know, it makes it less accurate. Right. Really? But, but, but then when we think about psychophysics, obviously we need to be careful what we're talking about. So it's mm. not just poorer sensitivity,
1: but there's also bias. Mm-hmm. And did you explore that in the seminar as well, Sam? The uh, 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 research you've been doing in that? Yeah, I yeah. touched upon that relatively briefly.
2: Okay. Yeah. What were
1: some of the other key key take-home
2: points from your seminar? Well, so we we've been using this technique called population receptive field mapping. Okay, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I call it PRF mapping. I use the acronym because <laughs> it's just one of those things that's a so mouthful. Um, yes. So, very much so so that's it's a method that was first developed for retinotopic mapping, so mapping how the visual field is represented in mm. the visual cortex. But it basically for every voxel or you know, any recording side, it could, you could use it with a different technique. We use it with fMRI and there we have voxels. Yes. So each voxel will have a receptive field mm. that mm. basically describes which part of the visual field will, where if you put a stimulus in there, mm. will cause a response in that voxel. And so it gives you information about the accuracy or the precision mm. of, of how that voxel encodes space. And, you know, it's a very nice technique, and it's, it's extremely popular in vision science right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it can be used for lots of other things. So, in collaboration with others, we've done it with auditory cortex, on a frequency mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, encoding mm-hmm. in the brain. And, yes. yeah, so there are some collaborators, mine, doing this with touch at the moment. Oh, um, wow. But that's proving quite elusive at the moment but is, uh, <laughs> you know, it it has to be possible theoretically yes, anyway. yes, yes, yes and um, some others have also done work using that s- similar technique to look at more complex things like mm-hmm. the, the number sense for example um,
1: mm-hmm. so what do you mean by that Could you so
2: it's ju- you know judging how many objects there uh, are um, say mm-hmm. one two yeah. three so the, the yeah. sense of numerosity uh-huh, right. so they've they' said to have found um, Voxels that are actually tuned to, to the numerosity of the uh, wow. display, and of course, you know, you can ask all sorts of questions about what that means and yes. mm-hmm. whether it's actually a visual, low-level effect or not. And yes, they've done quite mm-hmm. a extensive work on that, uh, trying to rule that out. But, but but the, the key point uh, I want to make is that it's a technique that you apply to pretty much any, any kind of feature dimension you want to look at. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you ne- need then dissect what, what that actually might mean sure mm-hmm. Whereas with the rectopy we kind of know that it's there and <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> <about> it. <laughs> it's location yeah. specificity but um, you know it is actually very versatile and can be expanded to much more complex stimulus dimension. That's
1: actually something I'd quite like to do as well. Ah, okay, I see. So, I mean, a lot of the work you're doing, and are these just with healthy individuals yeah. that would go through um, the process of trying to understand whether or not if these visual illusions are occurring? Is that the major focus of work? That's sort of the
2: major fo- focus, but uh, so we've done a little bit work on, on special populations and patient populations. Um, so I'd done a study on autism oh, where right. we used that same technique yeah. to look at uh how accurately um visual cortex encodes space oh, I in autism because that might explain uh the differences that people have observed in contextual processing. Again these kind of size illusions, for example. Mm, mm, that, mm. Yeah, are supposedly less uh, pronounced in autism. Um yeah, well we didn't find that. <laughs> oh you didn't. So <laughs> no, no rule that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's an important step in yeah. science. <laughs> and uh some collaborators of mine did the same with schizophrenia where oh. they did find that.
1: Oh actually. right.
2: So the the caveat with all the those studies is that they were fairly small and I think that sure. needs mm-hmm. to be replicated. Yeah. And yeah. uh yeah, so I I wouldn't be too confident that this is actually something very stable. They're both heterogeneous yeah, populations yeah. and but I mean it's it's Baby steps, right? That's oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the third thing I would say um, is that so we can use that technique to actually make models of what might be happening in the brain and mm-hmm. then uh, reconstruct brain activity mm-hmm. in that stimulus space we measure. Mm-hmm. So in, in our specific example, we use these PRF maps to then reconstruct in visual space the brain activity that we measure. So mm-hmm. for example... Mm-hmm. Um, know during bistable perception how would part of the visual field cause a response or a, a deactivation you know in especially spatially specific manner in different perceptual states and then you can use that sort of back projection to actually test models of what what might be happening uh, so and that's I think That's one well, it's also becoming a quite popular thing to do. Um, (laughs) by far not the only or even the first people who've done this, but yeah, I think this it's a very exciting possibility. It's not just for mapping, right? Mm. That's you often think of PRF mapping, and a lot of the publications that exist so far on it Mm. are really just you know quantifying Mm. parameters like the PRF size or the this precision of voxels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, say, different conditions or in different populations. Mm. <clears throat> but, you know, you can, I think, do so much more with it. Mm. so And that's, mm. that's why I think it's quite exciting, because it really allows you to build models of what the brain might be doing.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. that'd be fantastic. So
0: this is theory testing. So you're having people look at stimuli. You're taking the neural activity and seeing if you can reconstruct what they're looking at. So this then goes back and tests particular theories about what aspects of the brain are working or are interfering is that am I understanding yeah that right
2: yeah that's pretty much it. okay so the but they, the key thing is so I think there's been a literature of I mean, over the past 10 years or more maybe even uh, of reconstructing what people were looking at that that's that's sort of the basis of mm-hmm. it that's that's certainly the case but more importantly what we can do actually is use that to also make inferences about what's going on right so just say, Reconstructing what somebody was presented
1: with—that's
2: mm-hmm. that sort of brain reading—and people have called that mind reading. And <laughs> yeah. actually, I think you know that—that's that's a, a key difference. Uh, yeah. It's not mind reading; it's literally brain reading. Right. Yeah. And of course, we're not doing anything different either. But the idea is that we could actually say, in bistable perception, we have an identical stimulus that's perceived in different ways mm-hmm. by the participants, and we can reconstruct what's happening under those two circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that's so far just correlational, but of course you can then actually have a model of what should be happening if a particular model of neural processing were true, and then test whether that's happening. And so that that's why I think is the the exciting possibility of it.
0: So the power is in predicting what people will do.
2: Yeah. So mm-hmm. and then you know in theory, if this works, and so certainly it works to some degree um, <laughs> so far, is that we we could take you know another stimulus that the participant never saw and then measure what's, what's happening with that and say, can we predict what what their brain activity is, what, what's actually going on? And that, so that's that's sort of, I think, the exciting possibilities
1: that we want to explore. Absolutely. so I, I, I just had a thought um, regarding this. So this is all in relation to st- viewing external stimulus. Mm. Does the same processes occur when you imagine the stimulus in mind? Yeah, so
2: there's... Uh, been a few studies showing that already, and I had a one of my postdocs had done a pilot experiment ah. which, uh, looking at that very question as well. So, um, you can basically use the same method to reconstruct yep. visual imagery. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so it's not, it, and that's for it, me, that's the key thing. So, th- it this is a very t- difficult thing to do because yeah. you're working with really subtle signals. Uh, right. yeah, but the kind of experience I, I talked about in my talk mm. um, Friday that's a bit less tricky because you know we're working with this physical stimulus but yes. it's perceived in different ways so that's we're, right. we're really we're getting away from just the, the signals caused by the stimulus but mm. also you know other mm. things that are happening mm. and similarly for example visual attention could mm. be uh, you know there, there are effects of that mm. um, that you could mm. visualize in the same way mm-hmm. and, and model mm. in the same way Mm. Uh, so yeah it, you know, it goes definitely beyond just the the bottom up yes. sort of
1: uh, yes physical stimuli yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, that that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Sam, just in terms of the the future research you'd really like to to tackle, as it were, um, are there any really sort of um, out there things that you'd really like to get into? if you, if we were to wave the magic wand and grant <laughs> you you know a hundred million dollars, what would you be doing? yeah
0: that's
2: uh that's kind of an interview question <laughs> <Yeah>. so, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, <I'm> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, well so you I don't mean, have to have more the perfect more, answer yeah more <laughs> concretely that so i mean obviously i want to continue the kind of stuff that i've been doing yes and mm-hmm. also i'm i'm now in a more clinically oriented departments so I definitely want to up that side a bit more although I don't want to lose the basic research that Mm -hmm. I've been doing Mm. but one big thing and that's it doesn't require a hundred million (laughs) dollars but one big thing that's very interesting to me right now is actually cross-cultural differences in perception Ah, and so probably start that a bit simpler and not do lots of scanning, yeah. but actually, com, you know, have a more comprehensive. There are, there are studies out there having mm. done mm. that, mm. looking, for example, at differences in visual illusion in mm. Chinese people mm. and mm. Uh, Western people, mm. and mm. Um, you know, and all sorts of combinations. Mm. But mm. it's all fairly limited, and I quite like to actually broaden that and have a really mm. comprehensive mm. idea of how perception differs in different people across the world, because that's uh, it's largely still ignored by yes. a lot of research yes, right. yeah. yes absolutely but um, of course with lots of dollars then we could do that also in the brain right so that that would be one mm-hmm. limitation that to do this it would be costly anyway but yeah it would it would love to have large data yeah. sets um, yeah. of not just you know, psychophysical measurements mm-hmm. but yeah. actually uh, human mm-hmm. brain imaging across mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's one big thing, and the other thing, um, mm. yeah, I talked about wine tasting. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, I'd certainly, I'd be very interested in uh, developing, you know, the kind of methodology we use in in visual psychophysics mm. uh, to such more, you know, perhaps more day-to-day relevant things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in, in perception, like, like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, so that, that would quite excite me. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, it's it's difficult to... It, I like to dream about that. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and that's always the tricky bit, right, is that vision is very obvious. We can see what you're putting in front mm. of people. It's much trickier when you're doing audition even sometimes, mm. but taste, haptic perception, all of that is so much harder to quantify for yeah. researchers. But really is probably where there's a lot of really interesting questions to yeah. ask.
2: Mm. And... I mean, it's just, it's really, it's actually quite a challenge, right? You're mm-hmm. thinking about, say, if I have two glasses of wine, mm. then, well, you would, you would say, well, if you, if you ask somebody, which one do they like better, then there's probably not much that you can do and say, well, it's just, which ones do you like better? And can you rate it maybe? Mm. But, uh, you know, if you, if you want to ask more objective questions about the taste, for example, mm.
0: uh,
2: you, you can't really very easily use... Say two alternative forced choice design, like
0: right. yeah. a nice
2: psychometric <laughs> okay. curve. But I, I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I often find myself thinking about, you know, it's not just about wine, <laughs> but <you laughs> know, th- th- there are a lot of questions. Um, yes, I mean, this it could be, and it doesn't have to yeah. be um, gastronomically. Related. Sure, the sure. other yeah. other yeah. aspects of what we perceive in day to day life that yeah. aren't really visual.
0: Right. Well, and wine is one of those areas where people have tried to quantify mm. all the differences. So, you know, hints of black currant and, you know, <laughs> willow trees and things like that, where people have tried, maybe not with a lot of scientific rigor and not with a lot of consistency across people, have tried to quantify all those different things. Mm. So at least you have a start in wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah.
2: <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's some very interesting sort of claims out there, um, like the fact that people... Find it hard to tell red and whites mm. even, and so we tried that once um, in a blind tasting, and yeah, people could do it pretty well actually. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> even even both of room temperature, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and yes, threats. of course, yeah. yeah. But but I think you know there probably are certain wi- red wines that are quite close to, to white certain white wines like mm-hmm. the Pinot
1: mm-hmm.
2: varieties, for example. That is, I could imagine that it's more likely there.
1: What about a rosé? How do people go with a rosé? Mm. Would they struggle?
2: Uh, Well, I...
1: I, I <laughs> that's an that's excellent the next <laughs> That's right The <to> grunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Sam, it's just been um, so terrific having you here and, and giving us uh, some insights mm-hmm. into all the different work that you're doing and also where you're hoping to go down, down the future. Uh, one of the things we ask everyone who comes along uh, on the podcast is... Um, would there be a movie that might capture or reflect uh, very well or accurately um, the research that you do? I mean, it might be hard to pick one, but would there be a movie? So, and since I had a sneak peek
2: at those questions earlier, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> I did think hard about this, but yes. um, yeah, that's, I don't think there really is oh, uh, really? something that I would say. I guess there's. Things like Inception or Mm -hmm. The Matrix are quite close to the question Mm -hmm. of how you actually create a percept. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought actually, you know, there is a movie that is about neuroscience, Mm. and if you like neuroscience, you'll hate it, because uh, I don't know if you've seen or heard of Lucy. Oh yes, I have.
0: Have heard neuroscientists it, talk about it. Yes, and uh,
2: so it's it, the whole premise of it is this: this woman learns to use more than ten percent of her brain. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it makes, makes, makes all neuroscientists uh, extremely angry. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it is actually not just a terrible neuroscience movie, <laughs> it's just generally an awful movie. Oh, right. It's, it's cult-level bad. Oh. And so I find it quite hilarious, actually. And we, we saw it as a group of neuroscientists when it was in the cinema, and we had been drinking fruit. But So in the beginning, all these other people in the cinema were very confused by we kept laughing. All the time. And then after a while, you realise that, yeah, they also start laughing. Uh, just, I think it dawned on everyone this is just a really bad film. <laughs> and, you know, that, it's just every once in a while there comes, there comes a movie that's just so terrible that it's almost good again. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know
1: what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I
2: can recommend that. Like, you definitely shouldn't be sober when you see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so we've got three choices Reception, <laughs> Matrix, or Lucy. But Lucy would be the, the strong recommendation. Just check out for it. The one a that you time. have wine for yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. So
0: <laughs> go and bring all the lines of research together. You can
2: do a big <laughs> wine tasting experiment.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, so, um, Sam, thank you so much for coming on Just the Thought. Now, what we'll do is um, we'll put a couple of links in. You've got a, a blog as well that you have going. And we'll definitely include a link there for people to check out uh, some of the, the different writings you've got in. We'll also put up a couple of links to some different articles you've got got, mm-hmm. got published at the moment. But uh, otherwise, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.